0: Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace. Our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country. And no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to connect with me over on Instagram at My Peace Corps Story, on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story, and as always, over at MyPeaceCoreStory.com. If you've been listening to the show and enjoying it and want to leave a review, head on over to Apple Podcast. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. And speaking of five-star reviews, the most recent one review comes from Whistle Stopping, and they say bring back Tasha, five stars. Tyler, thank you so much for this podcast. I can't tell you how many times a day I try to tell people I served in the Peace Corps only for them to ignore me. Well, that is rude. It's just so great to hear from like-minded people. A little unsolicited advice if you want to keep this reviewer coming back for more, bring back Tasha, Prado's Troll Army. If you want five-star ratings, if you want more listeners, if you want to give the Peabody Award a big middle finger, then bring back Tasha, Hashtag Prados troll army. Well, whistle stopping. Thank you very much. They are referring to my most recent episode with Tasha Prados. If you enjoyed that episode, if you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoy any of my episodes. Drop me a review, would love to hear from you, and I guess I might have to have Tasha back on the show. For this week's episode, I sit down and talk with Brittany Farrell about her service in Ghana from 2010 to 2012, all the amazing things she did, and what she's been doing since then. I think you guys will really enjoy. So without further ado, this is
1: This is this is This is my My, my Peace Corps. Peace corps my, peace corps. my
0: Peace Corps story.
1: Story. 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 Brittany Farrell. This is my Peace Corps story.
0: Hey, Brittany, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. How are you doing?
0: doing well and excited to talk to a fellow West African volunteer who apparently I have been through your village technically uh, where you served as, as a Peace Corps volunteer uh, on my vacation that I took going down from Burkina Faso uh, into Ghana. Uh, so I'm excited to hear your stories, your service, and all the stuff that you've been doing uh, since you COS'd.
1: Awesome. Yeah, that is cool that we have that connection.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, and you were able to go to Burkina, so yeah, we could probably share a lot of stories back and forth. <laughs> I'm but sure. Let, yeah, but let's start off by letting the listeners know a little bit about yourself. Where are you originally from in the United States, and what were you doing right before you applied for the Peace Corps?
1: Very good question. So I'm um, from Birmingham, Alabama. I grew up there Um And when I was in college, I studied abroad in Australia um, and I took a little trip over to Thailand on my spring break from studying abroad in Australia and um, went up and did like a trek up into the Northern Hill tribes. fell in love with living in like a village community and was like, how can I go back and do this on a more long term basis? Um, And so I started applying for Peace Corps. Um, during that time, like in 2007, so like two years before I even <laughs> was going to graduate college to to go to Peace Corps, um, I had started, you know, going ahead and getting the applications in because back then um, the application process was like a year long thing, as I'm sure you remember as well. <laughs> um, and I originally got accepted for Rwanda to leave in September 2009. Um, but that program got canceled because it was going to be the first group back um, as Peace Corps volunteers to Rwanda and they decided they weren't ready yet. So um, that got put on hold. And then I got another invitation um, in December of 2009 to leave for Ghana in June 2010. Um, and so I graduated um, college, worked, you know, a couple jobs here and there until I was going to leave for my service. And then I was gone.
0: Okay. And where exactly were you studying abroad in Australia?
1: Um, I was at Griffith University um, in Queensland. Are you familiar with it?
0: I am because actually I studied abroad in Australia two years after you uh, in Cairns.
1: Oh, Oh, how funny. Yeah, I went went to Cairns as well. That's where we flew into and kind of had like our orientation and everything and did the Great Barrier Reef and, and all that good stuff
0: yep uh, that is so funny that we have, <laughs> we have a lot of very similar experiences we do we do <laughs> well what were you going to be doing or what what did you do as a volunteer in Ghana? What sector were you in what was your day to day like
1: uh, i so i was um my primary assignment was to teach biology to high school students uh so I went in there um you know just teaching biology initially. And then uh, this French company came around after a few months and randomly donated us an entire computer lab. (laughs) And everyone at my school was looking around and and who knows how to use a computer. Um, And then our headmaster determined that, oh, we have a white lady. So um, (laughs) we'll let her be the head of the IT department as well. So not only was I teaching biology, but I also became head of the IT department um, at my school, which was really funny because I, I wouldn't consider myself a tech person by any means, but, you know, when the uh, opportunity presents itself, you figure out how to, to rise to the occasion in and, and Peace Corps and, and just make the best of it. So so that's what I did. Um, and I had students who, you know, came from villages who um, had never had electricity before and they were afraid to even touch the computer, Um. Some of them even thought that, you know, the computer had demons in it, um, which was like a really extreme situation. Um, but then I had other students who, you know, it came natural to them. And like I had to to get extracurricular class time for them to come back and, and progress ahead of the rest of the students. So that was a really cool thing um, to get to experience was the different levels and how quickly some people can, you know, um, learn technology and, and take to it. And so I spent most of my time other than you know, teaching the regular curriculum with biology, um, just figuring out a way to introduce um, communications and technology to students in Ghana, which to me felt like teaching them how to type, you know, we use Mavis Beacon, which I know a lot of us in America have also used Mavis Beacon um, to learn to type. So that was fun getting them to also learn that program. Um, And then I taught them how to use like Microsoft Word. Um, And then honestly, like, Just teaching them how to like turn on and turn off the computer and click um, was a big part of the lessons as well, and it it ended up being a really enjoyable part of my service.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's always funny how some of the projects that we enjoy the most are definitely the ones outside of our sector or outside of what we think we're (laughs) initially going to be doing as volunteers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, and then uh, you know we take on as many secondary projects as you can, as you can during Peace Corps. Um, so I, I, found out that my region in Ghana, um, had a relatively higher rate of HIV, um, in the country. I mean, Ghana as a, as a whole, their HIV rates about the same as America. So it's not as, as, um, as staggering as, as some other countries in Africa, but, um, for our region, there was a lot of stigmatization, a lot of, um, lack of of education and awareness of how it's transmitted. And so um, I started writing a lot of PEPFAR grants. And um, I think most of us in Peace Corps will know what that means, but it's the President Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief. And um, it's a a program that's available for um, people outside of Peace Corps as well, but it's kind of taught to us, at least it was to us in Ghana, how to write those grants and how to carry out some of those projects um, while you're in country. And so I became um, a trainer for new Peace Corps volunteers and and kind of leading those projects as well and and was able to to do about three or four of them, I think, during my time in Ghana, which um, you know inspired a lot of the public health work that I even do um, today.
0: Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you were very busy as a volunteer. But as we both know, uh, time moves at a different pace when serving as a volunteer. So you're left with a lot of free time on your hands. How did you, how did you spend that free time uh, living in a, a, a village or a town in Ghana?
1: Oh, man, I, <laughs> I became like the handicraft queen. <laughs> I learned how to retile my entire bathroom because I thought I didn't want to have that concrete floor bathroom that most of us have, um, at least in Peace Corps, Ghana. So I, um, got some like grout and like, you know, one of those, um, those tools that you level the, the concrete Mm -hmm. with. And I bought like the, um, the ceramic tiles like in town and I taught myself how to, to tile my own bathroom. Um, (laughs) I also got a lot of really cool, fun colored paint and I painted my entire house I then started drawing stencils of elephants and the world map and giraffes and anything else that I can think of all over my house. Um, when the country director came for a site visit once, he told me my house looked like a box of crayons. <laughs> 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 so, um, so, yeah, just a lot of art projects. And then, um, you know, kind of seeing what else my community needed, I um, offered um, like I mentioned, the extracurricular classes for the IT students who wanted extra time, I'd go and open up the lab for them. Um, I did this internet project because my students had never um, used the internet before. So um, I worked with another Peace Corps volunteer um, who was teaching IT because that was a thing in Ghana. Like we had IT teachers then as well, and he taught me how to get this device. And honestly, like I don't even know how I. I did it now. I, I swear I was way more resourceful in Peace Corps than, than I might be now. But um, it's this thing. It's called, oh, gosh. It's like Hello World or something. And it's um, a, like a microprocessing chip or something that you can kind of put a snapshot of the Internet on. And mm-hmm. so I we, we downloaded a snapshot of the Internet at one point in time onto this um, hard drive type thing. Uh, and then I installed that into the router of the, the IT lab at my school. Um, and it was able to like kind of send a signal like the students were accessing the internet, but it was only that one point in time. Um, which is fine cause it still like let them see what the internet looked like and, and be able to search and do those things. Um, which was really cool. So I spent a lot of time just coming up with new projects. I taught, um, you know the the WASI exams. You remember those? The West African Secondary. Mm-hmm. So I I did some some prep classes for the WASI exams. Um, some of my favorite things that I did though, um, I had my laptop with me, and um, you know, I taught biology. That was my my major. And undergrad was biology. And I just loved the BBC Planet Earth videos, right? I was like, my students should see these videos. So (laughs) I would do this thing like on Wednesday nights um, during the week, I would take my tiny laptop (laughs) to the gym and I would stack up like tables on top of each other so that I could put my laptop um, up like on a table. And I would invite, you know, my biology students or, you know, any students who were interested to come to the gym and watch BBC Planet Earth on my tiny laptop. And I would have like 400 students show up to, <laughs> to watch a movie on my tiny laptop. And they would just be hovering around the screen, you know, to hear it as best as they could. But it was just such a magical experience, like getting, you know, something as simple as putting a movie on to attract pretty much the entire village. Um, I lived on campus at a boarding school. So it was like I was always with my students.
0: Yeah, I did several things similar to that with movies. Didn't ever do uh, BBC type things, even though I absolutely love those. I also studied biology uh, in undergrad and love planet Earth and all that stuff, but I couldn't (laughs) find it. I couldn't find it in French. I would have loved to show that. I guess they could have, I guess they could have just seen the imagery, but I ended up showing them kind of my favorite movies that I could find in French, Jurassic Park, Harry Potter. All the Marvel ones, but we had a a few little tiny projectors that volunteers could take and then take to their communities and, and show. So I had got to kind of do that, but yeah, it was always a lot of fun just having a lot of people in your community come together just to watch a movie because it was something like yes. they didn't do.
1: Yeah, it, it was amazing, um, and, and even more than the BBCs. One of my my favorite stories. Like I would have some of my students over. Um, and we would watch movies and like, you know, I would cook American food. They would cook Ghanaian food. We have like little cultural nights. Um, and it, to give a little bit of context, I'm sure you understand. Um, but like a lot of times in, in Ghana, the, um, the students were often older than me, um, because mm-hmm. they would go back and they'd have to work before they could afford to go to secondary school. Cause it's not, um, paid for by the government or it wasn't at the time when I was there. Um, So usually only like one sibling would get to go to school, you know, if if they came from more of a rural family. Um, And and then sometimes um, my students would be in their 30s um, and I was in my 20s at the time because they would have to go and work first to to be able to afford to go to school. And so um, my students sometimes felt like my peers um, as much as I did um, maintain those boundaries. But I did feel like they were oftentimes people that I could, um, you know, spend free time with as well as, as be their teacher. So we would we would watch movies together. And um, one of my favorite stories is I had on Men in Black. And um, for those of you who like, you know, aren't familiar with the language in Ghana, they speak English. So I mean, you you can learn the the um, the um tribal languages or like the, the most popular language or most commonly used language is Chi, which is the Ashanti tribe. But I lived in the North, and so it was mostly the Dagati tribe and the Degati language, um, but in school they all speak English. so we would watch movies in English, and we were watching men in black one time, and <laughs> my student goes, "Ah, Madame, why is the the dog talking?" <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I was like, "Oh, he's an alien." And they looked at me and I was like, "Oh, wait, do you know what an alien is?" <laughs> And they had no idea. So then I'm trying to explain what an alien is. Um, <laughs> and it was really hard because, you know, that was a, com- a complete foreign concept. So um, so, yeah, if anyone knows a good way to explain an alien to people who've never heard of it before, like please let me know. Um, but the other funny thing that happened from that movie was Will Smith is obviously in it. And one of my students was like, oh, madam, I know him. And I was like, oh, you do? <laughs> That's Will Smith. And she goes, nope. He lives in my auntie's village. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I don't know, I think he's an American actor. And and she was like, "No, madam, he's a Ghanaian. I know him." <laughs> so, yeah, apparently Will Smith is a Ghanaian living in the Upper West Region for those of you who don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, you learn something new every day.
1: <laughs> right? <laughs>
0: Uh, when you were kind of having this cultural exchange of them coming over and them cooking Ghanaian food, you cooking American food, uh, was there any American food that they particularly loved? And on the flip side, was there any American food that just they did not like?
1: <laughs> Good question. Um, One of my favorite things to give them was chocolate because, you know, the majority of the... Um, chocolate that's like made in the world comes from cocoa from Ghana and from West mm-hmm. Africa, but yet they don't have any local chocolate. And so it was so exciting for me to be able to give them chocolate because they had never had it before. Um, and a lot of times they loved it when I was like, Oh, this comes from your country. Like this is from the cocoa, like from your country. And they were like, Oh, Madame, but it's so sweet. Um, so they liked the chocolate for the most part, but then if you went any sweeter, they did not like very very sweet things because um, it's just not part of their diet.
0: Hmm. Yep. Uh, it's always. Did you find it frustrating that you could find chocolate easily? Because uh, yeah, I was right next to you guys, and it's like, why? Mm-hmm. Why can't I find chocolate in Burkina Faso? Everything There's I find. There's no chocolate. Yeah, it tastes so bad. But the major producers of chocolate mm-hmm. are right across the border.
1: Hmm. Exactly. No, I. I. In my village, I couldn't find anything like that. I had to ride my bicycle 45 minutes just to buy a loaf of bread. Um, I lived in a very, very remote area. Um, so it was always nice getting those care packages with um, kind of the the luxuries from home, including chocolate.
0: Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you had a, a ton of great experiences, but is there... Any one favorite memory that that comes to mind? I know I kind of throw out these prompts uh, pre pre interview to to get you thinking, but is there a favorite memory that you would like to share with us?
1: Yeah, I, I think one of my favorite stories. I'm just so you know proud of this young man. Is um a a guy who was at my school. His name was Simon. He was um, a student, and he was always winning the awards for you know you know best and brightest and getting the best grades and um. I also noticed that he was walking around on crutches and, and was missing a leg um, when he would go up to accept these awards because he wasn't one of my personal students. He was in the chemistry track instead of the biology track. Um, but one day, I, you know, I got to know him and I started talking to him um, and I asked him, you know, what what happened to your leg? And he had told me that he was one of, I think, six siblings and um, he was the only one chosen to go to secondary school because you know, he always Um, had been very smart. Uh, And and before he was to start school, he was out working in the farm and he was bit by a snake. Um, And his leg uh, got necrotic and and couldn't be saved by the time his family found him and took him to the hospital. So he had um, an amputation done all the way up to his um, groin. Um, So it was a complete leg amputation. And, um, you know, he had been using crutches for about three years to get around. So I asked him, you know, very cautiously, because I had no idea at this point what would come from this, um, this line of thought of mine. But I asked him if he had ever heard of a, a prosthetic leg and he hadn't, he didn't, he didn't even know that that was an option. Um, and so I, I, you know, explained to him what a prosthetic leg was. And I said, um, is that something that you would, would be interested in? Um, and he was like, madame, absolutely. You know, if I, if I could walk again, um, you know, that would be the best thing. And and I was like, OK, OK, I'm going to I'm going to see what I can do. You know, no promises. Um, but like I mentioned before, I'm from the South. I'm from Alabama. Um, I had my laptop with me and I was like, OK, I'm, I'm you know, resourceful. I'm a Peace Corps volunteer. Look, let's see what I can do. So I started um, doing some research online and I found this company um, or this nonprofit organization. I think they were based in um, Nashville. And they were called Standing with Hope. Um, And so their nonprofit, they helped provide prosthetic limbs to people who couldn't afford them, Um, kind of supported, um, you know, just underserved a lot of veterans, folks that just didn't have access to getting like the fancy um, prosthetic legs. And um, I researched their website. I reached out to them. And as luck would have it, they were planning their first international outreach mission. And it just happened to be in Ghana of all places, of all times. (laughs) Their first time they were gonna start doing international outreach was when I was in Peace Corps in Ghana and they were coming to Ghana. And so I wrote them this um, long email telling them all about Simon, my student, Um, you know, and and they, you know, told me that I would need to do a little bit of fundraising on my part to get him down to um, the capital in Accra, to have him measured, um, to see what type of amputation it was, to see what type of prosthetic he would need. But it mostly seemed promising. And so I got so excited. I was like, okay, this is, you know, just the luckiest thing that I just happened to find these people who are coming to Ghana who are are actually considering um, the option of of giving Simon a leg. So um, we raised some money. We got Simon and his uncle um, to come. We got him some private transport down to Ghana and we met the Standing with Hope people there. Um, They said he had a total, you know, hip dysplasia. I can't even remember the, the medical terminology, so I'm not going to try. But um, basically, he would have to have like a, a special seat built that could then hold the prosthetic leg. So it was kind of like a girdle that would then hold the leg because it was such a, a high up amputation. Um, so it was going to be a custom made thing back in America. Um, so we were able to to raise the funds um, and we got on the transportation and Um, sadly I was not there by the time they, they brought and fitted the leg, um, for him to walk for the first time. But, um, I did get to see the video of it and, um, it, I, I cry every time I see it now. I think I sent it to you. Were you able to see it? Uh, I was. Yeah. So it was, it was just incredible. Um, so, so Simon walks now, um, and that was back in 2012. So he's been walking for seven years. Um, and even more exciting is, is just that opportunity empowered him, Um, to now go to school and he is, um, a professional prosthetic limbs, um, designer and fitter now. So that is, that is his job. He's been trained and that's what he does for other people in Ghana now. And it it gives me the chills just, just thinking about it. Um, so that, that I would say is, is probably one of my most memorable stories, even though I I do have so many others. Uh,
0: that is a story worth remembering. And (laughs) Yeah, not not only were you able to to connect him with an organization that that could help him out. He didn't even know that that was an option that prosthetics really existed, but that that's now his profession that he is prov- continuing to provide this for other people in his country and in his community. Uh, that's absolutely amazing.
1: Yeah, and and I give him big props because, you know, all I did was just put the idea in his head and look how far he's taken it. Um, and I, I think that's what so many of us can, can gain from Peace Corps is, is just by us, you know, kind of giving people an idea or a resource that might not have had that before um, and seeing the capacity that it, they already have to the places they can take that, that resource or that or that idea. And I've, I've seen that time and time again, um, and in the African context and specifically the Ghanaian context, um, you know, where, where I spent my most time. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you have lots of happy memories from, from your time in Ghana, but all Peace Corps volunteers uh, come against hardships, things that, that that challenge them, that maybe question uh, their, their purpose for being there, if they're actually doing any good. What, what did you struggle with as a volunteer?
1: Um, you know, I think we all go through that one year hump where you're, you're there after a year and you're like, Oh, well, what am I doing? Like, do I still want to be here? Can I make it another year? Like, I think that's probably normal, um, for most Peace Corps volunteers. And I, I can't pinpoint, you know, one specific thing at this time. Cause when I look back at, at my service as a whole, I just get, you know, just still butterflies and happiness because, um, you know, the people and the connections and, and that I have even to this day. Um, but obviously, malaria sucked. Like, <laughs> I had malaria two times in Ghana, and it was um, awful. Um, so I don't know, did you have malaria in Burkina? Uh,
0: I personally didn't have malaria. but We had malaria, of course, in, in the country. But I saw a few fellow volunteers who got malaria. One, I was kind of in our med unit for almost a month and there was someone who was there with me who also had malaria and he he looked like death mm-hmm. he looked like he could die at any moment like he just looked miserable so i can i can't imagine what it's like to actually have malaria
1: yeah i i had it a total of three times um the first time just as you said i felt like death um I had a fever of like hundred and three or four or something. I was hallucinating in and out of consciousness. There was no hospital or clinic for me to go to. Um the closest one was like a 45 minute um, you know, car ride away, but there was no car. So <laughs> and then even when you could get to the hospital, there was no beds, you would have to bring your own mattress and you'd lay on the hallway, you know, of the floor. Um, there was no bathrooms, there was no food available. And and so I just decided to tough it out at my house in my village on my couch. Um, and and my neighbors came over and, and would just look after me. Um, and thankfully, in our, you know, our Peace Corps med kit, um, they provided us with uh, the malaria medication, the cordome. And so as soon as I called the, the PCMO um, and told him my symptoms, he was just like, go ahead and take you know, the medication right away. And so I did. And so within three days um, of torture, I started feeling better. Um, and then, you know, you get this thing called premunition for all you public health folks out there. You know what I'm talking about? But like the longer that you're in a malaria endemic country, um, the more of the parasite builds up in your blood. And so um, when you're infected with malaria subsequent times, it, it doesn't affect you as much. And so You know, the second time I had malaria, it was it was still kind of bad, but it came in waves. So I felt I would feel fine during the day, but at night I would feel like I was going to die. And then the third time I had it, um, I still went for a run that afternoon. (laughs) So I barely noticed that I had it at all. Um, The only reason I, I even got checked was because everybody in my village had malaria at the time. And so I was like, Oh, I should probably go and get checked. And so I did. And they're like, Yeah, you have malaria. And I was like, Okay. And so I just took the medication and and felt better. But really it was a mild stomach ache um the third time that I had it. And that was my only symptom.
0: <laughs> Your body by that point was like, Yeah, this old thing. I've we, we got it. We 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 can yeah. handle it.
1: Yeah, but I don't think that would still be the case. Um, you know, I'm going back to Ghana in November for my first time since 2012, and um, I think that I will probably need to take the prophylaxis because I, I I doubt that the parasites are still in my blood. But you know, who knows?
0: <laughs> probably not. And, uh, better safe than sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you you did so much during during your service. Is there one thing that you you miss about your service that you've tried to replicate since since ending your your time in Ghana?
1: Um I think the thing that I I miss most is is the people and then um kind of that idea of empowering people um that I that I mentioned earlier. Um, I just found that like it was such a fulfilling part of my service was was just being able to engage with people who were so smart and and had so many skills and had motivation and drive. Um, They just needed like that little that little push, you know, that little um, idea or that little um, nudge in the right direction. And they've taken it so far. And I think I've been able to to now stay connected to that because, you know, with the uh, social media that we have with WhatsApp and Facebook, I've, I've been able to stay connected to a lot of my friends and colleagues in Ghana. Um, and with those connections, um, you know, I, I was able to start an, a nonprofit called Health Resource Partners um, that works in Ghana to, to continue to build the capacity of the local folks in country um, working to improve health outcomes in their communities.
0: Okay. And and how long have you uh, been working with this organization that you created? How many years has it been up and up and running?
1: So we were incorporated in June 2018. So just a little over a year now. Um, we celebrated our um, one year anniversary over the summer and that went really well. Um, to date, we've done two community needs assessments. So, you know, which we all know is really important in the Peace Corps is um, to kind of get community buy-in. Uh, I, I called it, or a lot of us have called it like sitting under the mango tree approach. <laughs> so mm-hmm. instead of just like assuming what, you know, the village or the community needs, you take the time to get to know the local stakeholders um, and let them tell you, you know, what's important to them and, and what um, interests them and, and, you know, how you can help and partner with them. And, and so that's what we've done is um, we're working in two different districts in the Upper West region right now, Um, We're working with the local ministry of health. We're working with the community clinics and we're working with um, nurse practitioners um, and different NGO workers who are Ghanaians already working to make a change in their communities. So um, we've partnered with them and we've done like community surveys to see what healthcare resources are lacking. And based on that feedback um, we're now moving to provide those resources. So this year it's been um, a lot of maternal child health focus. So we're going to be providing um, Um, like birthing beds um, to several clinics in the district in the next month or so. We're going to be providing solar powered um, refrigerators to those um, communities that don't have electricity so that we can store vaccinations safer for them. Um, And next year, uh, we have a psychiatrist coming on board with our organization and we're going to be rolling out a mental health component. Um, A lot of uh, mental health is still stigmatized uh, in a lot of parts of the world, but I can speak specifically to Ghana um you know, they could use some time and, um, and resources and education on, on how to care for um, their loved ones, maybe who have postpartum or PTSD or, you know, schizophrenia or a whole mul- multitude, multitude of um, mental health um, illness. And so we're going to be doing maternal child health, vaccinations and mental health starting next year.
0: Uh, doing a lot, but there's always more to do. And, and how how do you decide like what, what's next? What, what piece of the puzzle you're going to add on? Because probably in an ideal world, you'll just continue to, to grow and keep adding new projects and new facets to the organization. But how do you decide what's the next piece to add?
1: Well, there's a lot. There's a big part of me that kind of wants to think of our organization as an incubator. Um, so in that way, we've partnered with with organizations, um, specifically two local Ghanaian nonprofits. Um, One of them is called Save Ghana, and the other is called Future Trends Foundation. Um, And and these two groups of folks are already trying to make a difference in their community. Um, We're just empowering them, um, you know, with a little bit of of leadership from from American and Ghanaian leaders who make up my board of directors. We're 50-50. Um, and we offer fundraising here in the United States um, and abroad. We get we get donations from outside the United States as well. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that we'll continue to empower them um, as an incubator so that eventually, you know, they won't need us as much and that we can move on to helping other communities. Um, right now, I wait to hear from them. So um, those community needs assessments that we did, those are like evidence-based research, which um, one of our, partners is actually publishing um, in a peer-reviewed journal um, those results that that we got from that needs assessment. Um, So we use their research to guide what we're doing. Um, And they're also starting to publish papers on mental health, Um, one of our partners are, and that kind of led me to um, think about introducing mental health within the next year and and working with mental health professionals here in the United States that will then go over and help provide that that training and, um, you know, workshop programs that we're considering doing next year. Mm-hmm. But it's very, very community-led is, I guess, the short answer to that question. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: And would would you say that that community-led aspect is something that you definitely learned in Peace Corps? Like what, what things did you learn in Peace Corps that directly translated to the work that you're doing now?
1: Um, I think... You know, seeing things that went right and seeing things that went wrong. Um, I saw this company come in to a village in Ghana. Um, Ghana produces shea nut, which we have a lot of um, shea um, products and a lot of the lotions and stuff we use here in America. Um, The women in Ghana, they do it by hand and it's a really labor intensive process. They sit underneath the trees and they just, you know, process shea butter all day. So a company came along and and saw that that this was happening, and they were like, "Oh, like let's let's try and help these people." Um, you know, their intentions were good. They're like, "Let's build a factory that will process shea butter." Right. Mm-hmm. So they built this factory in this village, and you know, they everybody was all excited. They had a ribbon cutting ceremony. They slaughtered a goat. You know, they did the whole nine yards, <laughs> and. <laughs> Um, The factory was great. Everybody was was in the factory as long as that, you know, foreign organization was there. They were using the factory. So the organization left and came back six months later. And when they came back, the factory was all locked up and closed. And the women were sitting back underneath the trees, um, harvesting the shea nuts by hand. And so then they're like, oh, well, let's find out why they're doing this. And it turns out that the machines in the factory were noisy and the women had their children with them and they used that time sitting underneath the trees to talk about you know, their households and to raise their children and to have a sense of community. And so that couldn't happen when they're sitting in a noisy factory. Um, but if those people who came to donate that factory in the beginning would have taken the time to ask them those questions and to get the community buy-in, um, maybe they would have learned that ahead of time. Um, and I, I think there's, there's a lot of stories um, like that that we all know and have heard from, from living in, um, in, in lower middle income countries and developing countries context that, um, if you start with listening to what the community needs, take time, exercise patience, as they say, um, you know, you can see the direction they want to go and then just support their dreams and what they want. Um, because that's what you're really there for.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, a lot of volunteers will have seen similar <laughs> projects uh, or maybe even the remnants of similar projects when they come into their communities, things that were well-intentioned but did not fit with the cultural context of what the people were actually doing, uh, like hanging out with their children or just catching up with their friends while while processing uh, shea nuts.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: Well- is there anything else that you want to share with the the listeners of the podcast? You've got your organization now, your experience as a Peace Corps volunteer, all the experiences in between uh, those those two endpoints. Are the is there anything that you want to share with the listeners of the My Peace Corps Story podcast?
1: Um, you know, we're always looking for people who who still want to stay connected to kind of um. Um, giving back to the communities um, with with our nonprofit that we have now, Health Resource Partners. And so we have a board of directors of eight. Um, you know, like I mentioned before, it's it's made up of Ghanaians and Americans. And um, we hope to expand to other countries once we get things moving in Ghana. So um, I invite you to, to look into our nonprofit, Health Resource Partners, and see how maybe you might want to be involved. We're always looking for people who um, – who are passionate about continuing to kind of do things in the Peace Corps way and, and serve the countries that, that gave them so much. So um, if you served in Ghana or, you know, West Africa or really anywhere and, and you just say, like, hey, that sounds cool. Like, I, I always love to hear from people. Um, it's, it's my passion project, um, and I hope to, to continue it to grow and, and get stronger partners to work with in the future.
0: And what is the best way for someone to connect with you in your organization?
1: Um, we have um, a website um, www.healthresourcepartners.org, um, or you can email me directly. Um, my email is Brittany, b r i t a n y at healthresourcepartners.org. Um, we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under um, Health Resource Partners.
0: All right, perfect. Well, I've enjoyed uh, hearing about your your experiences. Uh, your um, Amazingly impactful story of uh, working uh, with, with the gentleman in the prosthetic and what he's doing now. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. To close it out, do you have a favorite quote or local saying that you would like to share?
1: Um, I think so. I don't necessarily have a favorite quote, but some of my favorite things in, um, in you know a lot of the countries that I've lived in is um, hearing responses to saying hello or what's up. Uh, so in Ghana, um, they would say like "Etisane um, in the, the tree language, and you could come up with clever ways to say that you're fine or you're cool or whatever. And one of the, my favorite ones that I always said, um, was Nami Adam Boko, um, which translates to by God's grace, I am cool. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> not really a quote, but just something fun, um, that would always give people a laugh when I would say it in the village.
0: Uh, well, well thank you for sharing that. And thank you again for sharing your Peace Corps experience.
1: Thank you so much, Tyler. It was an honor to be here.
0: And boom, shakalaka. There you have it. Another Peace Corps story in the books. Thank you, Brittany, for coming on the show. Thank you, listeners, for taking some time to listen to her story Uh, All the amazing things that she did during her service that she saw, experienced, and the awesome work she is continuing to do. If you want to hear more of these stories, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you get a new episode every single week when I release them. If you are a current or returned Peace Corps volunteer and want to share your story, uh, reach out. Head over to MyPeaceCorpsStory.com, find one of those Share Your Story buttons, click it, and fill out the form. If you know someone who has an amazing Peace Corps Story and think they should come on the show give them a little nudge uh, a little peer pressure and tell them to reach out by finding one of those buttons and filling out the form and i'll be in touch until next time remember every volunteer has a story what's yours